we're going to get started. Let me start us off with a word of prayer tonight. Dear Father, we come. We're thankful for today. We're thankful for our church. We're thankful for the fellowship of our church. We're thankful for the food that we ate and for those that prepared it. We pray that you bless them. We're thankful for the, the time to come together in the middle of the week and to study your word. I pray tonight that your truth is taught. I pray that our kids are learning it, our, our smallest kids are learning it. I pray that our middle-aged kids, that they're building a, uh, on top of that foundation. I pray for our youth tonight, uh, that they're hearing this truth as well. And I pray, Lord, that it will bear fruit, that it will bear an impact, uh, that it'll make a difference. I pray for our adult classes tonight as well, uh, that we hear from you, that you teach us, that you train us. And I pray that we're built up in the study of your word. I pray that it would be not a normal event, but it'd be a supernatural event. So we just come we ask that you would lead us, direct us, teach us, guide us, and bless us in it. And we just give it all to you. And I pray in Christ's name, in Jesus' name, amen. All right, tonight we're moving to the 76th lesson uh, in our Bible study, the grand scheme of things. Some of you have been the whole time. Uh, we started in Genesis. We're going to work our way all the way to the book of Revelation, seeing Christ across the pages uh, of Scripture. We've moved into the gospel accounts uh, we're actually looking at the life and times of Jesus. Uh, we're going to spend about 15, 18 more weeks uh, in the gospel accounts looking at the teachings, the life of Christ uh, before we move on in the New Testament. Tonight we're in the 76th lesson. Tonight uh, our lesson is entitled Jesus on Prayer. Jesus on Prayer. Our key verses are found in Matthew chapter 6, verses 5 through 13. Matthew chapter 6 verses 5 through 13. I'm going to go ahead and read those all together here at the start, and then we'll look at them as we move through our study. Matthew chapter 6, verses 5 through 13. Starting verse 5, God's Word says this, When you pray, you are not to be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and on the street corners, so that they may be seen by men. Truly I say to you, they have their reward in full. But you, when you pray, go into your inner room, close your door, and pray to your Father who is in secret. And your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. Verse 7, and when you are praying, do not use meaningless repetition as the Gentiles do. For they suppose that they will be heard for their many words. So do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask him. Verse 9, Pray then in this way, our Father who is in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And do not lead us into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. That's the set of verses we're going to look at tonight, a very uh, interesting set of verses, and we're going to work our way through them. That's the key verses, the key point tonight. Prayer is central to the Christian life. Uh, I think that's something I see more and more all the time. Prayer is central to the Christian life. Uh, this reality is made clear in the fact that Jesus himself prays. Very early in Jesus' teaching ministry, we're getting right at the start of his, of his teaching ministry. These verses are found in the Sermon on the Mount. He gives his disciples a lesson and a model to follow for effective praying. So we're going to see a lesson 
about praying tonight, but we're also going to see a model for us uh, to follow in prayer. As you read the gospel accounts, there is a point uh, in the disciples' training, and that's what's happening in these years, that they very simply ask Jesus to teach them to pray. Uh, Luke chapter 11, verses 1 through 4 records that account. Uh, in that account, he also gives them the model prayer. And, and so they're, they're traveling with Christ, they're living with Christ, they're listening to Christ, and having watched him uh, in his prayer life, uh, they desire that they would have that same type of prayer life, and so they're very wise, and they go to the source himself. And so what an op awesome opportunity it is. They're, they're with Christ, being trained by Christ, and watching his prayer life, they decided to go right to the source and, and seek his wisdom uh, about prayer. That's what they do. Now, that results in the verses that we're going to look at tonight. I want you to think about a couple things tonight. Here it is, a new year, and I think this is a pretty awesome lesson to have fallen so soon in the new year uh, to give us a place to evaluate, to think about uh, some things that are going on. So first thing is this, I want you to think about tonight your prayer life. How would you describe your prayer life? Uh, would you consider your prayer life effective? And then it gets deeper from there. What does it mean that your prayer life would be effective? Does that mean you get all the things you pray for all the time? Uh, how would you evaluate that? So if you're thinking about your prayer life, you're trying to consider your prayer life, you're thinking about the effectiveness of your prayer life, how would you even evaluate that? I think sometimes we think, well, uh, do I always get what I want? And that's, that's maybe how we evaluate our prayer life. Uh, it's interesting thinking about prayer. Uh, over time, I think uh, maybe, maybe the point to prayer is learning to trust God, to trust Christ. Maybe the point in prayer is not always being uh, so panicked but actually having peace that, you know what, God hears my prayers and he answers my prayers. So maybe that's what it means to have an effective prayer life. Prayer life. Um, here's another question, and, and I think the answer is pretty easy. Is there anyone that could say I'm satisfied with my prayer life? Uh, I don't know that I know anybody would say, yeah, I've got this figured out, I've got it worked out, and I'm, and I'm satisfied with my prayer life. So again, it is a new year. I think that's a great opportunity for us to come and say, what does Christ say about prayer? How can I be better in prayer? And how can that impact my year moving forward? So what an awesome time to be able to, to come to this lesson as we start a new year. Tonight, we're going to look at one of several places in Scripture that Jesus addresses the subject of prayer. Uh, he does so in several different places, uh, in several different situations, and this is just one of those things. Um, and so we're going to start there tonight. These verses are very clear, I think, tonight to see uh, some truths about prayer, but also some pitfalls that are attached uh, to the, the subject of prayer. So uh, we're just going to move through the verses. If you have your worksheet, the first section is this, Jesus and prayer, Jesus and prayer. All right, we're going to go look at this subject. Well, the first thing, when you think about the gospel accounts, uh, we, can, we can take note of some things about Jesus and prayer. The first thing that we can see is this. As we read the gospel accounts, we see Jesus himself prayed. Now, that's a really pretty big thing, and that's a, a, a pretty mind-boggling thing. Jesus himself prayed. 
He is God. Does he need to pray? Why does he need to pray? What would Jesus pray? And yet we see he is deliberate in his prayer. He is consistent in his prayer life. Um, it's, it's probably worth noting that many of the times, if not most of the times that Christ prays, uh, that Jesus prays, we find that he goes to a place of solitude. And so he goes out into the wilderness, or he goes out to the mountain, or he goes out into a boat. And so we find out he is deliberate in prayer, he is consistent in prayer, and many times he goes to a place of solitude uh, to practice uh, praying. That's the first thing we see in the life of Christ. The second thing is this we see very easily. He expects his people to be people of prayer. If you've trusted Christ, the expectation of Jesus is that you would also be a praying person. Sometimes we think, well, that's not my thing or that's not my deal. That's somebody else's. Uh, the expectation of Christ is that we would be devoted to pray, to prayer. Um, he taught his followers to pray. That's a big thing. He modeled prayer to them. That is a big thing. And then on several occasions, he actually asked them to be praying. Remember when he goes to the garden, he's about to go to the cross. He says, stop here and pray. And so he actually asked them uh, to be praying. And so in the life of Christ, we see he prays. We see uh, that he teaches and expects his disciples would also pray. Something to think about, and I'm just going to throw it out there. I don't, I don't know that we could get an answer, but it's worth thinking about tonight, and that is this. Why do you think Jesus prayed? Why do you think Jesus prayed? And again, I don't know that there's a right answer to that. I thought about that. Um, the, the, the thing I came up with is this. Um, he still is wearing skin. Uh, he still is going to uh, face hardship and difficult times. And I think it's about communication with the Father. The Bible is very clear. Our Trinitarian God, uh, they are separate individuals. And so he is not the Father. And so I believe uh, he is communicating with the Father. And I believe that the value there is in communication. Again, there's no right answer to that. All right, looking at our verses specifically tonight, the first, um, the first section is entitled, A False Motivation, A False Motivation. I'm going to read Matthew chapter 6, verses 5 and 6. Listen very carefully to each word. When you pray, you are not to be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and on the street corners so that they may be seen by men. Truly I say to you, they have their reward in full. But you, when you pray, go into your inner room, close your door, and pray to your Father who is in secret, and your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. All right, let's go through uh, those two verses looking at some things here. First thing, notice off verse 5 starts off with the phrase, when you pray. And so Jesus gathers his disciples up on this mountain. He starts this sermon, the Sermon on the Mount. And to his disciples, he says, when you pray. Again, there is an expectation uh, that they would be praying. It doesn't say, well, when you begin to pray or later on when you decide to pray. He says, when you're praying, it's an expectation that they would be praying. He has an expectation that his people, his followers, would be praying people. That includes us. 
All right, it says, do not pray as the hypocrites. The hypocrites, uh, that word for hypocrites in the Greek means an actor or a pretender. An actor or a pretender. Uh, it most literally translates one under a mask. And so this person has put a, a mask on uh, trying to appear as somebody else. And so a hypocrite is a person who is one way and yet they are deliberate in trying to look another way or to look like someone else. You may know hypocrites or people that are hypocritical. Uh, this calls them out and says they are people that would wear a mask, people that are actors or pretenders. The motivation of a hypocrite is to be seen by people and to be noted for their religious practice. Maybe you see people like that. Maybe you see them on TV and maybe you know somebody like that, but they want to they wanna be known as a religious person. Uh, they want to pray, they want to pray, pray these big old prayers, and they want people to be impressed by, by their prayer. And their motivation is to be seen and then noted for their religious practice. Here's what they do. They make a production out of prayer. Um, they they want to be known for their praying. They want to be seen uh, in their praying, I, I notice there's we have a different world with Facebook these days, uh, but sometimes there'll be people that'll take pictures of themselves while they're praying, or pictures of them in a group while they're praying. And I think uh, I think they're missing the point here. The goal is not to be seen as a praying person. The motivation of hypocrites to be seen by people. Uh, they make a production out of it. Now Jesus here makes a very profound statement. I want you to think about this. The goal of the hypocrite in prayer is to be seen. And he says, they will get what they seek. And so their goal is that they would be seen and known for that. Well, guess what? You, that's your goal. You'll achieve your goal. That's what you want. That's what you're going to find. However, says that, they will have their reward in full. What they want to accomplish, they're going to accomplish it. However, their prayers will serve only for that purpose, to make them known, and they will have no meaningful impact. And so I think about that for a second. Their motivation is to be seen. Christ says they'll be seen, but you know what? Their prayer is not going to amount to anything. Not going to bear an impact, not going to bear fruit, not going to receive an answer. You want your result, you'll get your result, but your prayer will mean nothing. How many big old prayers done with the false motivation just fell empty and didn't mean anything. And that's what, that's what Christ says. You, you want to be known, you'll be known, but you'll have your reward in full. That'll be the extent of it, and your prayer uh, will bear no impact. Jesus then adds to that, and it's important that he does. However, the prayer that is not for show, you didn't do it to be seen. You're not trying to impress anybody. He says this, will be witnessed by God and rewarded. Now, I want to think about that for a second. God tells us, Christ Jesus tells us, if you're praying with the right motivation, God sees your prayer, hears your prayer, and rewards your prayer. And I go, well, surely that doesn't mean Vernon, Texas. Surely that, that doesn't mean out here now and, and, and where I'm at. Surely that was back in that day, not this day. Here's what Christ says. If you pray with the right motivation, the creator God of all things sees and hears and rewards your prayer. That's a very awesome promise. 
And so here's the thing tonight. If you desire to have an impactful prayer life, a fruit-bearing prayer life, we need to examine and weigh our motivations. And I think sometimes we just, we just go, well, it's time to pray because it's a certain time, or it's time to pray because I need an answer that I, that I can't get somewhere else. We need to say, why am I praying? Who am I trying to impress? Is this about God or is it about something else? And then we can, we can understand the promise. If we pray with the right motivation, God sees, he hears, and he rewards that type of prayer. That's a big deal. Here's something to think about. Isn't it weird how pride messes up so many parts of our life? You think you're a big deal. you got a pretty good image of yourself, perspective. And even in prayer, I can think, oh, I hope they're listening. Oh, I hope they're impressed by that. And even in prayer, pride can mess it all up. That's what we see right there. False motivations. Next part is this. A false method. A false method. Matthew 6, 7, and 8. And when you are praying, do not use meaningless repetition as the Gentiles do. For they suppose that they will be heard for their many words. So do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask him. And when you're praying, do not use meaningless repetition as the Gentiles do. For they suppose that they will be heard for their many words. So do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask him. All right. The word Gentile. Do not be like the Gentiles. Now, the word in the original language for Gentile means a pagan or a heathen, uh, not, not a follower of Christ, not, not one of a person that, that's trying to honor God, uh, a pagan or a heathen. Uh, Jesus warns his people not to pray like the pagan people do. Now, I want you to think about that for a second. How many pagan cultures, and you can think about them, uh, when they pray, they shout repetitive things or they chant repetitive things. And you see uh, some, some tribe that doesn't know Christ and they're chanting something. Or, or, you, or you see a Hindu uh, worship service and they're chanting something or they're singing something over and over again. And there's vast repetition going on. And that's how pagan people worship. Well, he says... Um, do not pray like the lost people do, like the pagan people. That's not how we pray. Our God understands our needs and is not motivated by the loudness or quantity of words spoken. And so I don't have to shout to get God's attention. I don't have to scream something to get his attention. I don't have to say one word 97 times to get his attention. Uh, it's not in any of that that, that that his attention is grabbed. Be sure of this. Prayer is intelligent and it is mindful and it is the process of communicating with God. And so uh, if we're not careful, we can just get into saying uh, repetitious things and lose the meaning. Some of the prayers uh, that we may recite, uh, we could say them and, and they just become repetitious and, and they lose the meaning. I, I've been to certain different denominations and they'll say, uh, the Lord's Prayer, seven times in one service, or a Hail Mary, so many times in one service. And that's what it's talking about. Repetitious words who lo that lose their meaning and carry no weight. 
God is not impressed by them. Our prayer is to be intelligent, it is to be mindful, and it's the process of communicating with God. Now, I want to I make something clear right here. I, I thought about this this afternoon. God is not opposed to repetitive prayers, which means this. You've got a dire need, and you've prayed about that need 64 times. He's not opposed to repetitive prayers. He is opposed to repetitive words. And so it's not some word that's going to get his attention. It's not some word that's going to force him to act. And so you say, you know what? I've been praying about this health concern, or I've been praying about something for my kids, and I'm sorry, God, I prayed 11 times about it just today. He's not upset with that. It's the repetitive words that think they're going to grab God's attention. I think about the Old Testament picture of the prophets of Baal. I remember they're, they're trying to get God's attention, and so they start banging around. They start cutting themselves, and maybe God will see it, and they start dancing crazily and shouting and they think that's going to somehow get their God's attention. You know what? God knows what we need before we even pray. Uh, it's not about the words, the loudness of the words, the repetition of the words uh, that we get his attention. Now, right there it takes a turn, and the turn is this. So some people might ask, if God knows our needs before we voice them, why pray at all? And so I read that and go, he knows, <laughs> he knows my need so why pray at all? Just, well, God knows. God's going to do what God's going to do. I know people that are actually like that. It, God's got it all figured out. I don't need to spend a whole lot of time in prayer. Well, here's the deal. What's the deal with that? The truth is this. God desires that you would turn to him and address him in prayer. He desires that you turn to him and that you voice your needs to him in prayer. Now, the reason he desires that, it's not so he can go, oh, I didn't know you were sick. Oh, I didn't know you were having trouble with your kids. Well, thanks for letting me know. It's not so he can gain information. Uh, the reason he wants us to do that is it is an act of worship saying, I believe my answer's in God. I believe our answer is going to come from God. I believe uh, whatever, whatever we need is going to be provided by God. And so it is an act of worship to, to stop and to, to lay it out before God and trust it to God. Um, it is to look to him as our supplier, our provision. When we pray, it is an act of worship. I'm trying to think somewhere in the last decade, I, I came across that understanding. I would think, well, I don't know how to do this, and I need help with this, and I need one of those, and so I want to pray about those things. Somewhere in the middle of that, I thought, you know what? God knows all that. It's an act of worship to say, if I have any hope, it's in you. If I have any answer, it's in you. My provision is going to be from you. And so I'm not going to go seek out experts. I'm not going to go try to do it myself. But I'm going to be worshiping him in prayer. Prayer is an act of worship. So you know what? The method matters. We're not to do it as the pagan people do. All right, right there. He turns, he's told them the motivation matters, the method matters. Uh, so, so now they're probably saying, well, well, show us how, tell us how. In Luke, they say, tell us how to pray. Uh, so he gives them and us a model to follow, a model to follow. Now, I want to say this. It is a good thing to start this part tonight by saying, notice there, Jesus never says, pray this prayer. 
He never says, pray this prayer. He says, when you pray, pray like this. And so we, we call this the Lord's Prayer many times. That's fine. Uh, he, he did pray it, but a better name would be the model prayer. And so it, it is the Lord's Prayer. He does pray it. But the, if you look at the context, he says, when you pray, use this model. When you pray, do it like this. He never said, pray this prayer. So what you need to do is pray this prayer. This is your model that you follow. I think it's weird how we grab on to things and, and we do the opposite of what he just said. He said, don't have repetitious prayers. And we say, well, you gave us this one, so we'll just keep repeating it. Probably the silliest thing, and I don't, I don't know, it probably upset somebody. Um, in all the football locker rooms I've ever been in, we go and we talk about this, and we get a game plan put together, and then we get all jacked up and taped up, and then we're ready to go stomp on somebody and do something bad to people, and, and you're ready to rock and roll, and everybody's all frothed up. And before you go out the door, they say, let's say a prayer. <laughs> we get on one knee and say, Thy Father which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. And then you stand back up and go out and try to, to do bad things to people. That's exactly what it's trying to tell us here. It's, it's not pray this prayer. That's repetitious words. It's pray like this. Here's your model to follow. Do it like this. That's something to understand. All right, so here's the model for us to follow, given to us by Jesus. That's a big deal. All right, verse 9. Pray then in this way. Our Father who is in heaven, hallowed be your name. The prayer starts in verse 9 with a focus on God. Here's what it says. He is our Father. I think that is a very big thing, um, important thing for us to understand. How do we relate to God? Mad at us, uh, the creator that we can't approach, so holy that we're written off. No, the prayer starts in Jesus' example with God as our Father. And so I, I think we need to sometimes consider, um, consider that image. Some of us had great earthly fathers. Some of us didn't have great earthly fathers. Uh, it, it's not that. If God were a great, perfect father, he is, what would you expect of that father? And, and so think about our earthly fathers. If you had a great father, he would be your provider. You know, he's not going to let you starve to death when you're nine because he's a great father. He would be your protector. You know what? There's something that's threatening you when you're seven. Guess who's going to take care of it? Your dad's going to get that squared away. He's your protector. He is loving. He is kind. He is gracious, which means he has your best interest. He wants the best things for you. That's what a great earthly father would, would do. Uh, well, well, how much more, the Bible even says that, would be our heavenly father. And so we ought to slow down and go, you know what? I'm coming to God as a good, gracious, kind father. And that's how I'm coming to, to approach him. Uh, then it goes further and says um, he resides in heaven. And that's, that's a big part of that. He is our father, but you know what? He's also not like our earthly father. Uh, he resides in heaven, and he is the creator of all things, and he holds all resources, and he's perfect. He has all wisdom. He has all strength, all power, all might, and so he is divine. And so he is our father, but he's also our heavenly father. And so we come, we approach him like that, but we also understand he is God, and we have the privilege to come to God in prayer. Hallowed means 
regarded as special, holy, which means set apart, and honored. And so the, 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 the point of verse 9 is this. When you come to pray, it starts not with you, not with your desire. It starts with God. And then you approach God as you would a good father. And then you also understand he is our heavenly father. He is divine. And our, our intent, our hope, would be that God is pleased and honored in the fruit of this prayer, in the fact that this prayer takes place. We're going to honor him, and, and we're going we're gonna to start with that perspective. How many times do we rush in and it's about us? I need something. I've got something messed up. I've made a wreck of things. And, and so we come in and it's about us. Jesus says, when you pray, it's to your Father. It's to our divine heavenly Father, and it's seeking his honor. So that's verse 9. That's how the prayer starts. Verse 10, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Now, here's a big thing that's hard to understand. The point of prayer is not to bend God's will to match ours. And I think sometimes we think, I know what's best and I know what I need or want, and so I need God to agree with me. And so I'll pray and get him to change his will to match my will. That's not how uh, prayer works. That's not the point to it. Uh, sometimes we think that it is. Rather, the point of prayer is to seek God's will to be carried out in my life, which means this, I'm going to have direction from him. I'm going to have empowerment by him. And so how I raise my kids is going to be in the empowerment that God gives me. How I do business in town, I want his will to be laid out, and I want to follow his will in that. And so we're, we're actually coming and not trying to change God's will, but we're seeking God's will in our life, uh, in our homes, in the world that is around us. Think about that for a second. His will is perfect. He knows all things. He knows what's going to happen. I don't. He knows what needs to happen. We don't. And so, of course, I don't want to bend his will to match mine. I'm dumb. Uh, I want his will to be carried out in my life, in my home, in, in our world, in our church. And so the point of prayer is seeking his will to be done as it is in heaven. Here's the thing in heaven. In heaven, guess what? His will is carried out. What he wants to be done in heaven, it's carried out. Here, we've got dumb people. We've got sinful people disobedient people. We want his will to be carried out on earth as it is in heaven. As we seek God's will to be carried out on earth as it is in heaven, here's some things that he's going to give us. He's going to give us direction. Here's what you ought to do. Here's the things you ought to stop doing. He's going to give us direction. He's going to give us the resources. God, we're going to need some things to, to, take, uh, the, for, to carry this out. He's going to give us the resources. He's going to empower it. You know what? I'll give you boldness. I'll empower this thing. And so when we're seeking his will on earth, we're seeking his resources, encouragement, his leadership, his wisdom as we, as we move on earth. All right, verse 11. Give us this day our daily bread. Give us this day our daily bread. Here's the deal with verse 11. Verse 11 is very simple. God is our provider. Now, we would do well to acknowledge him as our provider, uh, 
And, and I think that's kind of a first hurdle we have to make is to go, it's not my strength, it's my, not my ingenuity, it's not my toughness, it's, it's God who is my provider. If we do well to see him as our provider, but it's even better to, to seek our provision from him. Um, the language of the verse shows us that it, it's even in the simple, plain things of life. And so give us this day. That's what we're going to eat, our daily bread. And so, you know, give me $2 million and I'll bless the church and all that'll happen. How about just enchiladas next Wednesday? Provide that and I'll eat that and go to work for you the next day. Our simple things are to be brought to God. He is our faithful sustainer in life. We need to get used to saying, you know what? God is my provision. God is my provision. There is a rest that comes in knowing that. There is a peace. We scramble around and say, man, I don't know how we're going to make it. Don't know if we're going to get through this year. Man, it's going to be cold on Sunday. going to be four. I don't know if I'll make it through that. And say, you know what? God is my provision. God is my provision. You know what? The littlest thing, God is my provision. Here's a question. How many of us only pray for big things or things that we think we're not able to secure ourselves, which is this. Something happens. I go to the doctor and they tell me I got cancer. And you know what? I can't do anything about that. All of a sudden, I'm wild in prayer. You should be. But you know what? I've neglected the, the small things along the way. I haven't said, you're my provider in all things. And so a lot of times we come and I'm not able to do something here I've got a wreck in my relationships. I've got a wreck in my finances. I can't fix that today. And so all of a sudden, I'm ready to be a person of prayer. What does that attitude reflect about our perspective of God? And here's what it reflects. He'll be there when I need him, but most of the time, I don't need him. And we got to get to the point of understanding he is our provider, our sustainer, our hope, and the little and the big things, I'm going to submit those to him. All right, verse 12. And forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. As, as people that are seeking to live lives that are pleasing to God, here's the deal. We must be aware of our sin. Now, maybe you didn't expect the, the, the subject to turn to sin right there, but it went to sin. You want to walk with Christ. You want to be pleasing to Christ. You want to have a powerful prayer life. You have to be considering your sin. We must be aware of it. Here's the deal. Our sin is an affront to God. It is hated by God, and it hinders our relationship with God. I don't care if you're saved. If you're walking in sin, participating in sin, uh, unrepentant over sin, uh, it hinders your relationship with God. And so we have to be aware how I live matters, and, and I want to live in a way that pleases God. Now, Here's the good news. Sometimes people forget to tell us both sides of the story. The good news is God tells us if we do sin, when we do sin, if we'll confess our sin to him, uh, he is quick to forgive us. 1 John 1.9, you, you might know this verse. 1 John 1.9 says this, If we confess our sins, he is faithful and righteous to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. That verse is written to believers. And so if you'll confess your sins to God, 
He is quick and he's righteous and he's just to forgive you of your sin, to cleanse you of all unrighteousness. How does that happen? When we confess our sins to him. And so look, here's the process. You want to have a powerful prayer life, you have to be aware of your sin. And if you have sinned, we do, then you tell you to God and say, to what? I've sinned against you and this is how. And I ask that you would forgive it. How do you confess? It is in this process of prayer. Another great truth that's seen there. First off, we need to be aware of our sin. Second thing, if we have sinned, we confess it to him. Another great truth is this, and that is that as we have been forgiven as Christians, we should also be a forgiving people. That's hard. Now, somebody does something to me, man, I want to pay them back. I want, I want to heap stuff on them. I want to get them. I want to hide out in their bushes, and I want to make them pay. That's our instinct. Here's the deal. As people that have been forgiven, uh, we have to look like Christ, and we have to be a forgiving people. We're not to go around and seek God's gracious forgiveness and then harbor hatred and grudges toward others. Uh, that's a hard thing. Sometimes I have to pray that God helps me forgive, that gives me an enablement to forgive. But it, it, it's not going to work to say, God, forgive me, and then go around and, and stomp mud holes in people and, and pay people back. We're to be forgiving as a people. We're to be gracious as a people. We're not to be people that, that bear grudges uh, toward others or harbor hatred. Now, think about that for just a second in that 12th verse. This process of seeking God's forgiveness um, will end when we quit sinning. Well, when's that going to happen? It's when we're with him in heaven. And so guess what? That's an ongoing process. Well, guess what the process of forgiving others is? It's also an ongoing process. People are still going to upset us. I might remember three months from now the thing somebody said. And somebody might do something new. And so I'm in this process of seeing my sin, of seeking God's forgiveness for my sin, and then forgiving others and seeking to be a forgiving, gracious person to other people. All right, verse 13, last verse. And do not lead us into temptation, but deliver us from evil. And do not lead us into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Do not lead us into temptation. Might throw us off, might cause us to, to wonder what's going on here. Um, let, me, let me say this. God does not lead us into temptation. I'm going to explain this. Some, some folks might think, uh, well, if I've got to pray that he would lead me not into temptation, he might just get upset and lead me into temptation. That's not how that works. Um, God himself does not tempt us. James chapter 1, verse 33 says that. His goal is never to lead us to sin or to lure us to sin. Listen to me. God does not want us to sin. He's not trying to trick us into sin. He's not trying to lure us or lead us uh, into sin. However, we also do know God will allow us to be tempted in that we would be made more like Christ. Now think about that. Remember when Christ, uh, after his baptism, is taken out into the wilderness and he's tempted by Satan? Uh, guess who allows that? The Father allows that. It's the same with us. There are temptations that come by Satan, by a messed up world that wants to see us fall, and God lets us go through those temptations with the goal, with the mission, the purpose that we would be strengthened, 
that we would learn to stand, that we would step back from sin, that we would do well in that. So he's trying to build us up in that. If we ever do sin, listen very carefully, we can be sure, the Bible tells us, we always had available to us the means to escape. And so if you're ever caught in sin, you can't say, well, God led me to do this, or God didn't help me stop this. You always had an out. He always had an out for you, um, and so you can't blame it on him. And notice this. In verse 12, we are addressing our sin and seeking God's forgiveness. In verse 13, it's different, however. So verse 12, we're saying, I've sinned. As I forgive others, you forgive me. In 12, we're seeking God's forgiveness. In verse 13, it's different. We're actually now in verse 13, seeking God's power to avoid sin altogether. Uh, a, a good translation would be, uh, help us to not fall to temptation and lead us away from evil. And so in verse 13, we're seeking God's power to stay away from sin. Verse 12, we're confessing our sin when we do sin. Verse 13, we're asking for God's power to stay away from sin, to avoid it altogether. Let me, let me talk about that for just a second. How much better would it be to not fall into sin? How much of our prayer life do we end up saying, God, I messed up again today. God, I had better intentions and I've blown it. God, I can't believe I said this thing. I wish I could take it back. God, I can't believe I did this thing. And we're spending time confessing sin. That's, that's what we should do. But wouldn't it be a lot better to start your day saying, God, steer my steps away from there. God, help my eyes not to go there. God, help anger not to rear up. And I wonder how much different our day would be if we took as much time praying to avoid sin uh, than we did praying and asking God to forgive us of sin. That's what the 13th verse is saying. God, lead me away from evil. God, make me repulsed by the sin of the world. God, empower me to say, no, I'm not, I'm not going there. I'm not doing those things. And how much better that would be than wrecking everything and having to come and seek uh, his forgiveness. Pretty interesting how we, we miss a whole lot of praying to avoid sin. Um, I, I've said this before, and I'll, I'll just give you an example, and some of you, it'll matter. Um, when, when people come and talk to me about their marriage, and this is just an example that I think matches that, and, hey, we're getting married, help us out. Or, hey, we've been married, help us out, or hey, this marriage is a wreck, help us out, or hey, this marriage is a wreck, and I'm jumping out. Um, folks come in, and, and they want to talk about it, and I, I don't know a whole lot of, there's a lot of things that, about counseling. I don't know much about counseling, or hey, you got to start to date the way you once did, and you need to do this. I don't know anything about that, but I do know what the Bible says, and so here's, here's one of the things that I figured out. This is just an example with a married couple, the greatest thing they can do as a married couple is to pray together and to say, oh, it's weird for the man to go, guess what, hey, let's pray. And it's weird to say, well, we're getting ready to go out the door, let's pray. Or before, before you go to bed, hey, here's some things, let's pray. That's kind of awkward to lead, but here's what I figured out in, in 18, 19 years. 
the person you pray with, you are not near as likely to cheat on during that day. The person you'll pray with, you're not near as likely to hit that person during that day. The person you've prayed with, you're not as likely to get to work and badmouth that person as you are if you hadn't prayed. Oh, he's not worth two cents. You ought to see her. All of those things get a lot better when you spend time praying together. That's what I think verse 13 is telling us. Steer us away from evil. Protect us. Empower us. Give us eyes to to recognize and, and, and ears and hearts that are repulsed. And then we don't have to come back tonight and confess a bunch of sins because we walked with you all day long. The verse ends with the conclusion. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. All right, this is probably going to blow you up. That ending is not found in the earliest manuscripts. Now, let me explain that. We have copies of the New Testament, and and there's a lot of copies of it, but the oldest copies do not have that conclusion in it. Uh, It seems like it was added later. Once it shows up, then it shows up from then on. And so it seems like there's some scribe who is reading the prayer and is excited about the prayer and says, this prayer needs a doxology, needs an ending. And so he says, for yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. That sounds like a better ending. So this scribe adds that in to the manuscript somewhere. Now listen to this. It's not in conflict with Scripture. And we can find psalms that are very similar. similar. Uh, it is a fitting ending, but I need to tell you most likely it's not the words of Christ. So if my Bible has uh, parentheses around it. That's what that's meaning. It's added in the later manuscripts. Most likely Christ didn't say it. Is it a conflict with Scripture? It's not. It matches. But, but I think it's worth noting probably Jesus didn't say that ending to his own prayer. All right, so what do we take away from there? Here's a few things. New year for us. Here's a few things. We are to be praying. We ought to be praying. And that's, I, other day I said on Sunday morning, my, one of my goals is to praise God more this year. One of my goals is to pray more this year. We ought to be praying. Second thing is this, God rewards prayer. He says that here. He says it in other places. The creator God of all things actually says, if you'll pray, I'll reward it if you have the right motivation. Here's the third thing. God desires and is pleased in our praying. How many of us say, I want to be pleasing to God? I hope God's pleased with my life. I want to do things that bless God. You know what you can do? You can pray, and when you pray, God is pleased. So God is pleased in our praying. And then the fourth thing is this. We have a model to follow in prayer. You go home, so I'm not that good of a person in prayer. I'm not like that person. You go back to this. We start with the God, the Father. We seek his honor. We seek his will on earth. We seek to forgive others and be a forgiving person as we confess our sin. And then we ask him for the power to walk with him and avoid trouble altogether. He gives us a model to follow. If we'll do that, if we'll endeavor to do it, God will bless that. Uh, He will use it. I can say this. There's a couple things in my life I can say I've never regretted that. Um, There was a day when I was in my 30s that I said, you know what, I'm going to start reading the Bible. You know what, I've never regretted that. And then there was other times I said, I'm going to be committed to prayer. I never finished a year and said, I should have done better things with my time than pray this year. God will bless it. God will use it. It'll be a good thing. Glad you're here tonight. I'm going to ask if you'll stand. I'll lead us in a word of prayer. We'll be dismissed. Glad you're here.
All right, let's pray. Dear Father, we come, we're thankful that you hear this prayer and you are our good Father and you are gracious to us and you've blessed us. You should have thrown us out. You should have written us off and you didn't. And so you're, you're kind to us. You've provided for us. Sometimes we didn't know how and you did. Uh, you've been good to us. Our future is secure in you. And so we praise you and we worship you and we thank you. And we also come, we seek your direction in these days for your church, for our lives, for our homes. Uh, lead us. And then I pray, Lord, that we're faithful to, to walk like you and to talk like you. Uh, and then, Lord, I am thankful that you will forgive us when we've blown it all and we'll confess and you'll forgive us and clean the slate off. And we praise you for that. Lord, help us this year to be people of prayer. Most of all, be pleased and praised and worshiped as we, as we endeavor to, to be people of prayer. Help us in that. Lord, again, I pray for our kids tonight, for our youth tonight, for the other classes as well. Pray for the folks in this room, for those that are listening on the internet and other ways. Bless them as well. We're thankful for your word, your truth, and that you lead us through it. And I pray in Jesus' name, amen. Glad you're here. You're dismissed.